group. This is the Son of Ghoul, and you're listening to the Secret Lair Drive-In. <laughs> Welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In with your hosts, D-Dub and Stratosphere. The Secret Lair Drive-In is dedicated to bringing you the finest in B-movie entertainment news and reviews. And now, on with the show. Hello, D-Dub and Strat. This is Joe again, checking in with you real quick. I uh, thought I'd record another uh, message to send to you. Um, I want to hit on just two quick things real quick. Um... I came across a couple of movies on Netflix that I think are worth checking out. I'm pretty sure both of you guys have Netflix. Now, I had been told about these movies, and I kind of always put them in my queue, and then they kind of disappeared, and then they came back, and how Netflix does that. But, and I don't know, I don't think I've mentioned this before to you guys, and to anybody listening. There are two movies right now on Netflix that are definitely worth checking out, um... The one that I was absolutely nuts about, I thought it was terrific, was a movie called Troll Hunter. Okay, if you've never seen this, you've got to check this movie out. This is a solid, good movie. Now, it's one of those uh, found footage type movies, and I'm kind of sick of that stuff. So that's one thing you have to get by. But it's 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 not that bad. You know, it really isn't that bad. Um I really, really enjoyed this. Now, there's a lot of CGI. Now, obviously, based on the title, that's exactly what it's about. Okay? Uh, But I really enjoyed this. And just when you thought CGI was getting to a point where, you know, at least for me, I was sick of it. You know, I really was. Here comes a movie that does it right. And I got to warn you now, the movie is from, um, God, I'll probably get this wrong, but I want to say Norway. And it's... uh, it's subtitled, okay? There's there's very little English in the movie. But that's okay, okay? Because it's not a real complex plot or anything like that. It's pretty easy to follow. You could probably follow it without the subtitles. But uh, the effects and the premise of the movie... I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you guys before, but yeah, Troll Hunter. Definitely check it out. And I think it'd be a great movie to review. Even though it's a more modern movie, I think it's definitely worth... Because I don't think enough people know about it. Because, like I said... I, I had heard about it a few months back, and, and I just never watched it. But, uh, God, I really, really liked it. It was very, very well done. Very, very good. And um, my brother was telling me that there is an American version coming out. And they're, they're probably going to ruin it. But, I mean, there's... But this one was very, very good, and I would strongly recommend to check out Troll Hunter, possibly even to uh, to do it on the uh, Secret Lair Drive-In as a review. I think... I think uh, I think uh, I think you'd enjoy it. A second one is is not quite as good, but it's so outlandish that you gotta see this movie, man. And it's another one from Norway. I want to say Norway. I, I could be wrong. It's one of those uh, countries where it's cold all the time. I guess <laughs> the other one is a movie called Rare Exports. Now this is a Christmas movie, okay? And it's all about. Uh, you know, the legend of Santa Claus and, you know, the elves and the rain. I, I know, I know, it sounds crazy. And there's not, there's, the effects in it are, for the most part, practical. There's no monsters or anything in it. But I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, too. Okay, Rare Exports. These, this is another one, it's on Netflix. You've got to check this one out, too. I'd be really curious to see what you guys think about these two films, but... Yeah, I mean, I like Troll Hunter a lot more. There's more action in it. There's more going on. There's more. There's effects in it. 
Rare Exports is just, it's like I said, it's more, it's like a Christmas movie, but it's, it's not for kids. You know, trust me, it's not. But, and it's, it's not like a horror movie or anything like that. It's just another solid movie, man. It's just another solid low budget movie. Troll Hunter, again, a solid low budget movie. And this one is a solid low budget movie. I, I, I heard, I read somewhere on the interwebs that there's a sequel coming out for it. I don't know how they're going to pull off a sequel, but, uh, yeah, Rare Exports, please check it out if you get a chance. These are two movies that are worth watching and worth talking about, too. Uh, Godzilla 2000, man, I loved your review on it. Um, I've always had a on-again, off-again, you know, like-dislike about that movie. I do like it. I love the look of Godzilla. I actually saw this in the movies. I saw this in the movies. I love the look of the then-new Godzilla. I love the spiny back. I think he looks just so much more powerful and I thought it was a really good follow-up for, uh, you know, for the Destroyer one. Uh, I love that we got a new monster, Orga, and it had diff- several different phases of, you know, he was like, the spa- he was the rock, the spaceship, and then finally the, the big monster at the end. And uh, I wish they'd use Orga again in a movie. I can't remember if he was in Final Wars. I, I can't remember, but I like I lo- I like Orga, and I love the um, the thing at the end. Uh, where he, where they're fighting and he, Orga tries to swallow him up. But yeah, I, I think you guys were mentioning how this one was taken a little bit more seriously. And yeah, it definitely has that feel. Um, I do, I, I really, like sometimes, sometimes I think it drags a little bit and I find myself fast forwarding through those parts, you know. And I, maybe it's the American dub that I get a little, you know, put off by. Uh, I do not have the film in the original Japanese with subtitles. I wish I did, but I don't. I mean, it's out there. I can get it. I just, I just never did. But um, I think you guys did a real good job covering. It. I really, really liked it. Um, but like I said, I, I, it, it's, I, I, I hate. I, sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't like it. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> there's a handful of Godzilla films, Toho films, that I probably watch twice a year. Okay, maybe three times a year. 2000 is not one of them, okay? I don't dislike it, but you know what I mean? It's just not one of my favorites. I don't know, but uh, again, I think you guys did a really, really good uh, job covering it. And I gotta say, uh, D-Dub, I did not know you were such a big fan of King Kong Escapes. I gotta tell you, honest to God, that is my favorite Toho movie. And I think what's so crazy about the movie is... What's what? what I'm, why I'm so crazy about the movie is because it is so outlandish. Okay, it is so crazy. I've done so much like finding out about this movie, reading backstories and stuff like that. And um, August Ragone's book covers it pretty good. Um, he just by a master of monsters that he covers King Kong escapes pretty good. Uh, I love that film, I, and what I like about it is it, it is loaded with effects. And what I really like about it, other than a few scenes at the end, all the effects are done in broad daylight. You know what I mean? They're not hiding any wires. They're not hiding anything. This was Toho effects. You know, I know it's not a Godzilla movie, but this is Toho at their best, I think. It has everything in it that they were good at at the time, except Godzilla. Okay, but we got King Kong. And I I really love it. And I think, I think um, um, Amamoto playing uh, Doctor Who, I think that's Toho's best villain in in the giant monster genre. I think that's their best villain. You know, yeah, you got your Planet X aliens, you got your Red Bamboo guys, but you got Doctor Who, man. I mean, this guy was terrific in this role. 
And man, he could have been a James Bond villain. That's how that's how much I like Doctor Who. But uh, I did not realize you were such a big fan of that. Now that is a film that I probably watch half a dozen times a year. I am not kidding. Whether it's playing in the background while I'm doing stuff around the house, or I'm sitting out on a Friday or Saturday night at midnight, I pop in King Kong Escapes, man. I really, that is my favorite Toho film. And as, as big a fan of Godzilla is, that's the one I like the most. You know, I mean, um, you know, War of the Gargantulas and uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, they're like close seconds, man. As much as I love the Godzilla, those three, I love those three films. And, uh... Didn't realize you were such a big fan of it. It's nice. It sounds like I'm in good company here because I, I do love that movie. If you guys ever want to revisit it, God, I'd love to come out and talk about it with you because well, I got to tell you, man, I know way too much about that film. I really do. But anyway, I just want to. I wanted to keep this quick. Check out those two movies I mentioned. I think you guys did a great job at Godzilla 2000. Did it real justice, and uh, I'm glad to hear that there's another King Kong Escapes fan out there that is big a fan of the movie as I am. So, uh, anyway, keep up the great work, and I will keep listening. Take care, guys. Bye. Lights out. And now the movies, folks. Well, hello there, dear listeners, and welcome to this, the latest, the 50th episode of the Secret Lair Drive-In. I am your host, your fearless leader, D-Dub, and across the Wayback Machine with me is my co-host and faithful acolyte, Stratosphere. Hi, kids. Well, before we get into this week's cinematic masterpiece, let's toss out that contact information. If they'd like to email us, how could they do that? Uh, we can, oh God, it's been so long since we recorded, I believe, unless things have been changed, it's secretlayerpodcast dot, at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Man, okay. I was so it's, close. It's, it's been a while. We'll probably flub the ending, too. <laughs> uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Beyond Pod, Windows Phone users. Go out there, subscribe, leave a review. You know you want to. All the cool kids are doing it. Yep. And now we will be getting into our movie in just a moment. But before that, we have some feedback. Feedback is always good. uh, This actually goes way back. This is from our friend Joe. We need to find him a new nickname, Aiden. (laughs) Hey guys, really enjoyed your take on Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. Although not the strongest entry of the Heisei Godzilla series. Possibly an underrated movie with flaws. The film seems rushed to me. 
seems like they really try to cram a lot into this film. The whole Yazuka storyline just seemed tacked on. Look what we have here. Baby Godzilla, Space Godzilla, Mogura, Project T, and the Yakuza, plus our main star. I'm surprised the Planet X aliens never showed up. <laughs> I'll say that made it all sound a lot more exciting than we reviewed it. I'm telling you. I like to think the film does have a lot going for it. Godzilla looks great. I always like the look of the big G in the Heisei series. Space Godzilla is another great-looking monster. I love the look of the evil Godzilla. Plus, we get a revamped, almost reimagined Mogura. Mogura? Mogura hasn't been around since 1957's The Mysterians. Great addition to the film. All in all, this one has really gotten beat up over the years, and for the most part, rightfully so. But as always, I'm still a fan of this film. I'm just not sure I would recommend it to someone who's not all that familiar with the 90s Godzilla films. Definitely not a not a starting point, I would say. Let's talk Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Holy crap, talk about a rock and roll nightmare. <laughs> it's amazing to me that this film came about at the height of Kiss's popularity. Talk about a case of what the hell were they thinking? Produced by Hanna-Barbera. How about the cheesy fight music? Classic Hanna-Barbera. I read recently that all of Peter Chris's dialogue was dubbed except for him seeing Beth. Why? Who knows? What's with Ace and Ack? I also read that Ace almost walked away from the production because of his lack of lines. In fact, there's a few scenes with Ace being played by a stunt double. His African-American stunt double. I guess Ack wasn't enough for him, so he didn't show up for that day's filming. Paul Stanley was just way too wishy-washy. And do you think they played up the Gene Simmons demon a little too much? All this from the director that brought us the Harryhausen classic, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Gordon Hessler. I have to admit, I was a huge fan of Kiss. I even bought Music from the Elder in 1981. So he was a highly guy. underrated album. And Creatures of the Night in 1982. I really liked this group. Kids loved him and they scared the hell out of parents. I just remember being so disappointed with this movie. That was not my Kiss. Honestly, I did not think they were going to actually... Be, they were going to be actually part of the film, other than concert footage with the story wrapped around it. I'm not sure what I expected, but I certainly did expect a really bad live-action cartoon. To be fair, the whole idea of Kiss having superpowers was pretty good, and could have worked. And it could have worked in the hands of almost anybody other than the Haunted Barbera production company. These guys made Saturday morning cartoons and live-action kids shows. This should have been a big-budget spectacular, real special effects, and high-level production. I'm talking Superman effects, with a more serious tone. It could have been done. It should you, have been done. You will done. believe a tongue can lick. <laughs> I would think... <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist gotta, that one. <laughs> oh, gotta play the farm music for that one. Oh. Brown chicken, brown cow. Okay. Uh, uh, I would think it just hit him, folks. <laughs> That's pretty good. I okay. like that. I would think any Hollywood film studio at that time would have given Kiss a film that fans would, fans would have flocked to. Think about it. The hot, uh, the hottest rock and roll band in the world. You could have made a profit just on the fans alone. Maybe it was at this point that Gene Simmons took over Reigns as financial manager for the band. Somebody must have gotten fired after this cinematic bomb went off. So anyway, that's my thoughts on the Kiss movie. By the way, I do own a copy of it and have watched it a number of times over the years. Talk to you soon, Joe Iden. Thanks, Joe. Well, we got we got another one from him, too. And since I seem to have left my brainy specs upstairs. Okay. Oh, the brainy specs. I'm going to give you the phone so you can read this one. Okay. 
Gentlemen, hello again, and thank you for reviewing another of the Godzilla films. You keep giving me reasons to sit through my favorite stars film. My favorite stars films. Well, you don't need us, but nice to know we're involved. Godzilla 2000 happens to be pretty special to me. It was the first Godzilla movie I saw in theaters with my son. Wow, that's you know I I remember when '98 came out, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to call it. We know what you're talking about. Yeah. When 98 came out, if I'd have known 2000 was in the theaters, I probably would have went and seen it. I just, for whatever reason, I guess I just wasn't paying attention to the movie listings. Mm. Well, to be fair, 98 had two tons of media hype around it, and I had people whose opinion I used to trust recommended highly to me. <laughs> so, it, it could it. No, no one you oh, know. Oh, I, I was... No, co- co-workers that, that I, I trusted, but... You know what? I no think I've got, a, I've got a bold idea. After we announce our movie for next time, I've got a bold idea. Okay. Uh, I remember I was so excited to see a Toho Godzilla movie in theaters. Last one I saw was Godzilla 90, 1985, so it had been a while. I really like G2000. Pretty straightforward storyline, nothing complicated, and we get another new monster. I kind of like Orga in all his forms. Reminds me of Hedora as far as uh, changing monster. His final form is my favorite. He just looks so powerful. We also get a revamped Big G. Yes, Godzilla has also had some changes made since we last saw him. Actually, he's grown up as this is technically Godzilla Jr. from the previous movie Godzilla vs. Destroya. To this day, I really like this look for Godzilla. Those spike spines going down his back, love it. One of the scenes I really liked was the one when the Godzilla Prediction Network truck is following Godzilla as he's walking across the city. I also liked the lighthouse scene in the beginning. Possibly an homage to Beast from 20,000 Fathoms? Mm, Possibly. We also get something that a lot of people may overlook. Godzilla is green! Yes, that's right. Up until now, the big guy was always black in color, despite what all the comics... Well, actually, it was more gray, I would... More of a gray, yes. Yeah. Despite what all the comics and cartoons would have you believe. But most importantly to me, anyway, is that this film was the first to be released in theaters after the ill-conceived American Godzilla from Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich. The release of this film let us fans know that Toho was bringing back the Godzilla we wanted, rubber suit and all. Effects in the film are perhaps somewhat a bit lacking, sometimes sloppy, and seems as if shortcuts were taken, but that's okay with me. This film ushered in a string of sequels I always liked in the series. As always, the Godzilla movie is a movie I'll always like, but I would definitely suggest Godzilla 2000 to anyone who's never seen any of the newer films. By the way, if you have the Sony TriStar DVD of the film, I would suggest watching the film with the audio commentary. It's done by the American director of the film, Mike Schlesinger. Schlesinger? It offers insights and info on the film that I think are very interesting. Thanks again, Joe Iden. All right. Thank you, Joe. And if you want to have your comments read on the air, remember that's secretlyourpodcast at gmail.com. And with all that being said... What is our cinematic masterpiece this time around? Well, we were kind of going with the 70s for a while, and uh, we had a conversation off of Mike about kind of getting back to our roots. So we were looking at the trying what would be one of the best things from the 60s, and since 
you can never really go wrong with our, our lone Hall of, Hall of Fame member, uh, Vincent Price. We decided to go with 1961's The Pit and the Pendulum. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Which I believe was the very first Vincent Price movie I can remember seeing. Um, I would say that's probably, if not, it's one of the earliest ones I remember seeing. Well, just the story. I I remember going to a Halloween party, and part of the big thing with that was watching a couple of Vincent Price movies. Oh, okay. I uh, don't remember where the party was, but uh, it was this one and Tales of Terror. Oh, okay. Tales of Terror, not in love with, but... Um... Yeah, this this I one. I still want to see what's it called? Twice Told Tales. Uh, the Nathaniel yeah. Hawthorne one. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, this is uh, 1961's The Pit and the Pendulum, directed by everybody's favorite Roger Corman, starring Vincent Price, Barbara Steele, John Carr, Carr, Care, Carr, Care, <laughs> and Luana Anders. <laughs> Wait, you say Carr or Care? How's this spelled? K E R R. I don't know. I've I don't care. I don't care. I don't God. care. God, Sorry. I thought I was punchy. Anywho, uh, screenplay well, screenplay okay. uh, by Richard Matheson. So right there, you got a pedigree. Matheson, isn't that the gentleman that also wrote like I Am Legend and a bunch of Twilight Zones and stuff? I Am Legend, Twilight Zones, Incredible Shrinking Man. The 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 man is pretty much legendary in sci fi circles. He so. is legend. Ah, see? See what I did there? So, the best place to start with this bad boy would be... The, the plot. plot. In Spain, during the 16th century, Francis Barnard visits the castle of his brother-in-law, Nicholas Medina. Or Medina? I forget. I gotta be honest, I watched this thing a couple of weeks ago. I know, and... <laughs> we... D-Dub and I have been, like, had our own private dramas going on, and it's like... You want to record? Oh, I could pencil in a month from now. Um, uh, you, you want to record? Oh, you know, I'd love to, but I got this going on. Yeah. Um, to investigate the cause of the mysterious death of his sister, Elizabeth, who had been Nicholas Medina's, Medina's, both uh, his Vinny's. wife. Huh? Vinny's. Yeah. Both Nicholas and his younger sister, Catherine, offer a vague explanation about Elizabeth having died from a rare blood disorder. However, when Nicholas responds evasively after Francis asks for specific details regarding the disease, Francis admits that he will not leave until he discovers the true reason his sister died. And you know, Francis... Francis... Lighten up, Francis! (laughs) Yeah. Had to say that. I, I feel... I know he's supposed to be a sympathetic character, but he's kind of a dick through the whole thing. It's hard to have any sympathy for the guy. Yeah, I, I was like five minutes into it. I'm like, you know, yeah, I kind of had the same thing. It's like, okay, he's supposed to be, let's call him our protagonist, and yet he's, he's kind of a D-bag. <laughs> so, during dinner with family physician Dr. Leon, <laughs> all I can think of is like Dr. Nick from, from The Simpsons. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Leon. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Francis again asks about his sister's death. Dr. Leon tells him that his... I guess Dr. Rodney wasn't available. (laughs) Dr. Rodney. Um, Tells him that his sister had died of of massive heart failure, literally dying of fright. 
And once again, heart failure is an effect, not a cause. <laughs> Just saying. Francis demands to be shown where Elizabeth died. Nicholas takes him to the castle's torture chamber. Because all castles have torture chambers. Oh, absolutely, they have to. It's, the way the union works, see, if you buy the moat, you have to have the torture chamber. It's code. <laughs> well, you know, back then, they didn't have anything called a man cave, so... Oh, okay. Oh. Boy, that's a visual. Um, Nicholas reveals that Elizabeth, under the influence of the castle's heavy atmosphere, became obsessed with the chamber's torture devices. After becoming progressively unbalanced, one day she locked herself into an Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden! Sorry. Bill and Ted joke. And died after whispering the name Sebastian. Francis refuses to believe Nicholas's story. Francis tells Catherine that Nicholas appeared to feel definite guilt oh, regarding you know, Elizabeth's death. Francis was just pissed because he was forced to wear that stupid hat during the whole thing. He wore it with dignity, but yeah, it was a stupid hat. In, re in response, Catherine talks about Nicholas's traumatic childhood, revealing that their father was Sebastian Medina. Medina. Uh, Funky Cole Medina. That's, that's why I don't want to say it that way. Because <laughs> I, I look at the... Bah! A notorious member of the Spanish Inquisition. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition! When Nicholas was a small child, he was playing in the castle's torture chamber, as all good children do. Oh, sure. When his father, also played by Price, entered the room with his mother, Isabella, and Sebastian's brother, Bartolome. Hiding in a corner, Nicholas watched in horror as his father repeatedly hit Bartolome with a red-hot poker, screaming adulterer at him. After murdering Bartolome, Sebastian began torturing his wife slowly to death in front of Nicholas's eyes. So there's issues. Uh, after Catherine has finished telling Francis about Nicholas... Catherine and Francis are later informed by Dr. Leon that Isabella was, in fact, not tortured to death. Rather, she was entombed behind a brick wall while still alive. Dr. Leon explains, The very thought of premature internment is enough to send your brother into convulsions of horror. Nicholas believes that Elizabeth may have been interred prematurely. The doctor tells Nicholas that if Elizabeth Medina walks these corridors, it is her spirit and not her living self. Hmm, starting to sound like a little bit like uh, some stuff was going on in House on Haunted Hill. I was going to say, there's a little, little bit of a parallel there. Nicholas now believes his late wife's vengeful ghost is haunting the castle. Elizabeth's room is noisily ransacked and her portrait is found slashed to ribbons. Her beloved harpsichord plays in the middle of the night. One of Elizabeth's rings is found in the keyboard. Francis accused Nicholas of planting the evidence of Elizabeth's haunting as some sort of elaborate hoax. Well, how do they explain when the harpsichord is going off, going off, going, uh, You rang. <laughs> it uh, has been a while, folks. <laughs> Nicholas insists that his wife's tomb be opened. Inside the coffin, they discover Elizabeth's putrefied corpse frozen in a position of writhing horror, hands clawed and mouth wide open as if in a final scream. Nicholas now knows he buried his wife alive. And, oh, and I gotta say, that that's a really effective scene. Yeah. Really done well. It just, it reminds me of a really bad joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, when somebody says, 
Oh. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I, I, what would they do if they were alive to, or what would they think or be doing if they were alive today? Probably clawing at the inside of their coffin saying, let me out. Yeah. Okay. We blew that one, folks. Yep. Uh, that night, Nicholas, now on the verge of insanity, hears his wife calling, calling him. Calling him? He follows her ghostly voice down to her crypt. Elizabeth rises from her coffin, causing Nicholas to flee and ultimately fall down a flight of stairs. She is alive, and she is met by her lover, Dr. Leon. Dun, dun. Elizabeth, thinking Nicholas dead, taunts his apparent corpse. About Five their... characters in this thing. Yeah. What? <laughs> I know. Law of conservation of, of characters, yeah. Um, taunts his apparent corpse about their scheme to drive him mad so the two lovers could inherit his fortune and estate. Nicholas opens his eyes and begins laughing while his wife and the doctor recoil in horror. Nicholas stands up and overpowers Dr. Leon, who attempts to escape but falls to his death in the pit. Nicholas then approaches Elizabeth and promises he will torture her horribly. Francis, having heard Elizabeth's screams, enters the dungeon to see what has happened. Nicholas is now gibbering, or gibbering, with insanity, and has become convinced he is his own father, the evil Sebastian Medina. Medina. He confuses Francis for Sebastian's brother Bartolome and knocks him unconscious. He straps him to a stone slab located directly beneath a huge razor-sharp pendulum and gags him with a red scarf. The cackling Nicholas slowly lowers the swinging blade closer and closer to Francis's torso. Catherine arrives just in time with Maximilian, one of the family servants. After a brief fight with Maximilian, Nicholas falls to his death and Francis is removed from the torture chamber or from the torture device. As they leave the basement, Catherine vows to seal up the chamber forever. They slam and lock the door shut, unaware that Elizabeth is still alive, gagged and trapped in the Iron Maiden. That final shot of this film has really stuck with me over the years. Well, that's probably due to the fact that Barbara Steele has amazing looking eyes and she she's just one of like the best B movie actresses like ever in my opinion. I absolutely adore Barbara Steele. Oh, okay. Uh you know <clears throat> I I remember seeing this one as a kid and as I'm watching it this time it, I just found it kind of hard to root for much of anybody in this movie. Um, really, I mean, you're supposed to feel bad for the guy with the dead sister, mm-hmm. but like I said, he was such a douche that uh, yeah, you couldn't. I mean, Vincent, he he snaps, so there goes any sympathy you have at that point. Well, no, I still feel sympathetic for him, and I, you know, the fact that he's getting trying to get revenge on you know, misguided though it is, you know, but. Okay. Anyway. Um, trying to get revenge misguided, though it is. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, I, yeah I, I would say there's there's not a lot of likable characters flat out in this. Uh, um, possibly Sebastian the Manservant. Yeah. I, but he doesn't really do a whole lot. Uh, Dr. Leon is somewhat likable until you find out he's behind the whole conspiracy things so yeah i mean uh vincent's sister is about it but even she seems a little shady 
Um, yeah, and I, I actually will have a comment uh, coming up on that. But um, overall, I liked it. Pretty well done. Again, I will, I will literally see anything with Barbara Steele in it. It's funny because, you know, we this was kind of picked because Vincent Price is such a, a go-to uh, type actor. I mean, even Witchfinder General, which admittedly not his best work. No. But he still did good work in it. Oh, yeah. Just it wasn't the type of character you were looking to see. Barbara Steele is like, for me, the the female equivalent of Vincent Price. I will. There's no movie she's she's in that just isn't better because she's in it. In my opinion. Okay, I I know I've seen her in other things. It's... So when, when we got a, we're gonna have to add the list. Uh, Black Sunday. It's on Netflix we'll... and it's it's amazing. It's really good. It's black and white and it's really really good. Well, we'll have to add that one to the list. Um, so. I mean, overall, really, it was it was good to see it again, but by the same token, I not so sure i'm gonna turn right back around and watch it anytime soon um i i mainly because i'm behind i've got literally like about 10 thing 10 hours worth of crap on the dvr to watch so i'm probably not going to get to it anytime myself but like yourself i hadn't seen it since i was a kid and i found myself uh for for having unlikable characters, still the 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 pacing of it is pretty good, and I felt it was pretty riveting as far as as far as all that goes. It was it definitely had, although I, I feel it was a little bit of a cheat as far or a, not a cheat but artistic license as far as uh, the pendulum because they literally show it slicing his clothes at one point, and the thing and and supposedly it's going down like you know a half inch or something like that every time okay and it starts slicing through his clothes and it's literally like 10 minutes later that it's finally stopped it's like if it were that close well i mean they they, 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 they played with time a little bit i think for dramatic license they actually did i mean his stomach did get like sliced just not badly I know. I'm just. I'm just saying. At at the pace it, it was going before, he should have been dead. I'm just saying. Well, I'm sure a lot of the people in the audience when they went to saw. Well, 1961. You can't. You, you know. You know the guy's gonna make it, but is the guy gonna make it? You don't know. That's true. They just do a clever cutaway shot or something. Like that. Uh, it it was in the the editing was I don't want to say sloppy, but it just it was a little misleading. I guess is is kind of how I would put it. Okay, I guess so. So with all of that, let's rate this baby. Um, I would say um, I'd give it a, a, a really nice craptastic. I think I'm going to go middle of the road, just kind of crap fest on it. Okay. You know, it wasn't great, wasn't bad. It was just kind of there. I I'm. Like I said, I give it craptastic for the simple fact that I would I would definitely recommend it to someone. Okay. You know, it, 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 when you when we get into craptastic and then the the highest one craptacular, you're then you're getting into okay. You, you got to ask yourself would would you say to someone who was interested in in the genre or Vincent Price or Barbara Steele or whoever, you know, 
should you watch this? Okay, something like Witchfinder General, I would not recommend because no. just not one of his better works. But, you know, we've reviewed um, the Dr. Fibes series, both of them. And yeah. both of those, definite thumbs up. Yeah, you got to see this. This is really good stuff. And I would, I would say Pit and the Pendulum just barely falls in that category. As Yeah, I think it's like, it's like Kirk in the first Star Trek reboot movie always seemed to be hanging on the edge oh that was bad well i'm just thinking you know you you say he's just barely there I'm like yeah it's okay okay anyway. and anyway. i believe you had some more feedback on it or you uh, have some feedback on this particular movie i do have some feedback on this particular movie we we're Slowly but surely starting to get uh, emails from uh, other people other than Joe. No offense, Joe, but um, this is from uh, Moonheart from Parma, Ohio. And Parma. Inside joke, folks. Okay. Um, let's see. I enjoy the fact that Price's character is truly tortured throughout most of the film. In many other roles I've seen him in, he's either a complete asshole or he's just weird and kooky. Um, Interesting. Don, Don Medina is a character that we feel so much sympathy for, especially after one watches it a second time. Some might think he he is the one who killed Elizabeth, lampshaded by Doctor Mr. Barnard multiple times. But as the movie progresses, and especially towards the end, we see that he has been mentally harmed by the events, not the one who caused them to happen. He plays his three roles, his father in the gruesome flashback, the sane Don Medina, who was mourning the loss of his beloved wife, and lastly, crazy Nicholas, who has lost every bit of his mind and resorted to living in the past, not realizing he is harming an innocent person. Price's acting shines through in each of these roles, which may convince some fans that he's not just a campy actor. Something else I wish to note is how Elizabeth's corpse is fascinating to look at and a bit of a jump scare, especially for first-time viewers. The idea of being buried alive is a major fear for many, and the thought of meeting one's end that way is enough to terrify anyone. Oh, Lord, yeah. The intensity of the scene where Nicholas hears Elizabeth, who is calling his name in a very creepy way, follows her voice down to the catacombs is compelling and chilling. It keeps me on the edge of my seat every time I watch it. Once he reaches her and she climbs out, it's pretty scary, and how she quietly approaches him and you don't see her face for a while until she jumps out into the light. Barbara Steele is a fantastic actress because she is not only a very pretty woman, very skilled in her lines. She may be only in a third of the film, but she plays her part perfectly. Once Nicholas is broken after discovering Elizabeth and the Doctor's secret, his acting is magnificent. The way Price stares straight ahead, his eyes barely moving as Elizabeth teases him, is quite extraordinary, especially as he is slowly, as he slowly wakes up from his trance, only to fall into insanity, believing he is his own father confronting his wife and brother. The only thing I about this is what I was commenting on before. The only thing about the movie I do not like is Luana Anders, who plays Nicholas's sister. I don't know how much acting she had done up to that point, but she is an awful actress. <laughs> Her tone is flat and airy, which is especially annoying during her flashback scene about what her brother saw his father do. She sounds like she's reading it straight from the script and doesn't show hardly a smidge of emotion. In conclusion, the film as a whole is excellent. I've watched a few Vincent Price movies over the last year or two, and this most definitely is my favorite. 
I would recommend this film to anybody who not only enjoys Vincent Price, but if they like movies that are just plain creepy. It's not a horror film filled with supernatural and jump scares galore, or even a slasher flick. It's just a story about how a person's mind can become so twisted by a series of events. So thank you. I could buy that. Thank you again, Moonheart, for that uh, uh, insight. I agree with a lot of your points uh, that you made there. And welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In family. Oh, nothing. I was just looking at something on the... Uh... Go ahead. Oh, okay. So, um, now we've rated it. Uh, and uh, once again, this this is... Uh, we wanted to do something... Um, get back to our roots a little bit with something from the 60s uh, for our 50th show. It's hard to believe there's been 50 of these. Actually, is only my like 47th or 48th show because like, I think the first two you did without me. But I didn't know how much fun it was going to be. Well, yeah, that's why we just kind of... Uh, we just kind of... Uh, give it a try. Okay. Uh, Sorry, I was, I was... I was looking at the... At the email account for the other one. See, oddly enough, folks... Peek behind the curtain. I actually have two computers on the desk right here, and I was trying to get set up for the next show that we're recording. Yes, because we, we have on. we have like three and a half hours to, to record like three shows. So, <laughs> window of opportunity. So anyway, what we're going to be talking about next time? Again, getting getting a little bit uh, back to our our quote unquote '60s roots. We're going to be going with. Uh, I don't know if you'd uh, call it a classic, but uh, it's... Actually, no, this is 1971. 1970, excuse me. Uh, But the 1970 Japanese film Space Amoeba, or as it was released here in in the States, Yogg, Monster from Space. And uh, our contact information, again... Is let's see if I can do it right this time. Go for it. Secret Lair Podcast at gmail.com. We are, of course, available on iTunes, uh, Beyond Pod, though if you're listening to on an Android device, we feel your pain. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and also on Windows Phone. That's right. And so, with all of that being said, this is D Dub. And Stratosphere. Un- Undistracted for the moment, saying, go watch a B-movie, and why? Because these movies won't watch themselves. Later, folks. Bye, kids. Gee, that was a swell movie!